in between the moment I started receiving these messages and the moment I launched the community, there were maybe one or two weeks maximum between mm. the two. I just launched it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Anne-Laure LeCumph. Anne-Laure is the founder of Nest Labs. You'll learn about how she started this community, this paid community that initially started as a blog, then a newsletter, and then a paid community. Um, and it really started to take off when she decided to publish 100 articles in 100 days during the week. And so in this episode, you'll learn this this journey for her while she was also at school, which is really incredible. So sometimes you think about building a side project while you're working. She built a, a paid community and company while she was in school, and she's still in school. So in this episode, you'll learn about how she found her first top supporters for her community as she was building it, how you can use the generation effect to create a body of work, and so much more. Um, as always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can also subscribe to my Substack called Portfolio Career and uh, my free podcasting course. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Anne Lore. Anne Lore, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. In person. Um, so let's just dive right in. Um, the generation effect. What do you love about it? I discovered the generation effect when I was studying neuroscience for my master's degree a few years ago. What I loved about it, well, I guess first, what is it? <laughs> what is it? What is the generation effect? The generation effect is a phenomenon that shows that by creating our own version of something, we're going to both understand it and remember it better. So instead of just, uh, if you're in the classroom, instead of just taking notes and writing down verbatim what the teacher is saying, if you make a little effort to rephrase it in your own words, you're going to understand it and remember it better. And when I discovered that, I thought it was so powerful because it gave me a very practical use case for doing something that I already liked doing, which was writing. And this is why I started my newsletter, to put the generation effect into practice, to take everything that I was studying in university, rephrasing it in my own words, and then publishing it. The publishing part was more for accountability. But this is such a powerful tool. If there's anything that you're interested in that you want to learn about, just by taking that thing you're studying, writing about it, or you know, the generation effect could be recording a little video about it, doing a little podcast about it or whatever, creating any kind of output that is your own, your own version of it, you're going to make it your own. And you're going to, again, understand it and remember it better. So really, really powerful thinking tool. And, and so like some other examples of that could be like publishing a tweet kind of thing. Like, uh, like st what are some ways that we can apply that? You mentioned about how you turned it into writing. Um, what other some examples if someone's listening to this that says like, oh, this is really cool. How else could I apply it? Yes. Yeah, so writing tweets definitely works. Uh, it could be giving a little presentation about the topic to your teammates at work. It could be um, creating little visuals, again, videos work, little Instagram reels. It doesn't really matter. You can choose the format that works best for you, that you're most comfortable with. 
also the format that you find the most fun because, and it's the same with lots of those kind of creative or thinking tools. The more you use them, the more powerful they become. Mm. So it's kind of important to design it in a way where you want to keep on doing it. If there's too much friction, if it feels like too much work, you're just, you're, maybe you're going to do it two or three times and then you're going to stop. But if it's in a format that you enjoy producing, then you're going to start applying the generation effect over more of a long time and you're going to see all of the benefits of it over that time. Okay. And so you mentioned how this was kind of an aha moment for you while you were in school um, and studying. And um, then you started writing. Um, so tell us about kind of a, an accountability challenge that you had and, and how uh, maybe started writing 100 articles in 100 days, yes. <laughs> which is just like kind of crazy just to say out loud and to look at you and be like, you did that. Uh, so. <laughs> Tell us that story about how you took this generation effect and started just like publishing, you know, 100 articles. Yeah, I realized at the time that I was being very self-conscious about the quality of what I was publishing. I had a lot of anxiety around, is it good enough? Uh, should I maybe wait until I publish it? Or maybe should I not publish it at all because so many other people are better writers than I am? There's also the fact, obviously, that English is not my first language. So there's also, again, I'm a bit self-conscious about how good my writing really was. And this is why I decided to give myself this little challenge of writing 100 articles in 100 days. More precisely, 100 weekdays, because I'm French and culturally speaking, our weekends are very important. We need rest. We need to not work <laughs> sometimes. So I uh, gave myself this little challenge as a way to kind of get rid of all of that self-consciousness that I had around writing. Because with this challenge, which I had announced very publicly on Twitter and in my newsletter, I had committed, I had kind of made a contract with my very small audience at the time that every day there would be one new article being published. And so every morning I would go through my notes, I would think back on the conversations that I've had with friends recently or things that my teacher mentioned at school or blogs that I had read, podcasts that I've heard, and I would think, okay, is there one topic in there that I could apply the generation effect on, rephrase in my own words, explore a little bit further and publish? And some articles sometimes were quite long because I felt quite inspired and confident and I felt like I, I could write quite a bit about it. But some of them were super short, a couple of hundred words, some mm. of my shorter art shortest articles. The only thing that mattered is that every single weekday I would publish an article. And I would be lying if I say that now I'm always 100% confident about what I publish. I still have a bit of anxiety. <laughs> I, I always wonder how people are going to react. But uh, it has helped a lot. I do feel a lot more comfortable now sharing my ideas online. I have kind of embraced the idea that I can publish content, I can publish my work. Some people are going to like it and find it useful. Some other people are just going to maybe scroll past it and not click on it, and that's fine. That's completely fine. You don't have to write something that's helpful to absolutely everyone. And you just need to show up consistently, and this is how you become a better writer or a better creator in general, just by practicing and keeping on showing up and keeping on tweaking and adapting your approach so you can improve. Yeah. So you did these 100 articles, um, and it seems like around, I don't know, maybe article 20 or so like that, you were like, hey, there's something 
happening here. There's a lot of people that are interested in this. They want to learn more. They want to chat with me about this. Um, and then it seems like maybe Nest Labs kind of started then. Um, talk to us about that kind of moment when you said, maybe I should turn this into uh, a company slash community. So the community came a little bit later, but I started Nest Labs when I had people who started replying to the newsletter asking if they could sponsor it. And so I did need a business entity for, for this. So that's when I registered the business. And at the beginning, it didn't make a lot of money at all. I'm really talking a few hundred dollars at most because I was not proactively trying to find advertisers for the newsletter, but I was... As long as the product that people wanted to advertise was something that I was comfortable with, like, I don't know, a brand of coffee or things like this, I was like, okay, that's fine, sure. Give me $200 and we can put a, an insert in the newsletter. And that was fine. But clearly not enough to pay my rent or anything like that. And it's in March 2020. So at the end of my newsletter, I always had a little sentence saying, hit reply, tell me how you're doing, just or say hello, basically. And... In March 2020, I got so many replies from lots of readers, and they were all saying very similar things. I'm feeling lonely. I'm alone. I feel disconnected from the world. I feel like I don't have a creative space anymore where I can discuss ideas with other like-minded people. And you know, even people saying, like, I, didn't, I never thought I would say this, but I miss work. I miss work. Mm. And what they missed obviously was not the work itself but it was the human connection being able again to think about big ideas and brainstorm and and you know be creative together so i thought well is there any way i can help basically and i would have loved to be able to maybe help those people individually but at that scale it was impossible and so this is when i thought oh what if i create a community more of a peer support slash peer learning community where everyone can help each other and where I am not standing in the way of people providing support to each other anymore. I'm not the bottleneck anymore. So in between the moment I started receiving these messages and the moment I launched the community, there were maybe one or two weeks maximum between mm. the two. I just launched it. Uh, <laughs> um, the only thing that I did a bit strategically at the time, which I was really happy I did, is that I went into my email service provider and I looked at the list of most engaged readers. So those were the people who over the past three months had opened almost every single weekly newsletter that I had sent and maybe clicked on a link. And I emailed these people individually with mm. like a handcrafted message for that person saying, hey, um, you know, thank you so much for being such an engaged reader over the past few months. I'm launching this community and I would love your feedback. So. I had a couple of weeks in the community that was only with these highly engaged people who all helped me shape what the community would look like before I opened, mm. so to speak, the gates to everyone else. And I think that was a really good decision at the time because I made sure that the community felt welcoming to everyone and was providing exactly what people needed. And yeah, it was, it was great. And we have about 2,000 members now, which has been fairly stable. And during the... It's funny, uh, yesterday I had coffee with someone that I know through the Nest Labs community, and she was telling me that during the pandemic, 
she the first thing she would open on her phone was the community not instagram not twitter the community people were spending their whole day in there we had six to seven community events happening every day all hosted by members yeah it was really amazing it was amazing everyone was so generous and sharing their knowledge and supporting each other um we had you know we still have them but we started co-working sessions and uh, people started companies together in the community it was basically everything and more than i had hoped in terms of supporting people and creating this community so yeah it was it was amazing and not the most strategic launch i've done <laughs> but uh, i feel like i i did you know like the, the amount the, i put my efforts in the right places i think at the beginning mm. considering that i was just a solo founder and i didn't have a lot of resources investing in the people at the beginning was i think a really good thing while you were still in school too right mm-hmm. yes um i was yeah i was still in school and i mean it was such a weird time you know i was in school but i was not going to school i was not on campus i was spending lots of time at home like everyone in a way um I initially, you know, I built this community thinking I'm going to help all of these people in my audience and all of my readers, but I also helped myself in the process. Mm. I it allowed me to make friends from everywhere in the world who were interested in the same topics. Uh who were happy to to nerd about these things for hours together. And so, yeah, it started as something that it w- I thought was just to help other people, but it did help me also. Say more about that. How do you think um building the community and the company helped you as well? I'm someone who gets a lot of joy from learning new things. Uh that's why I like reading, I like writing, etc. And I didn't realize before the lockdowns how much of everything I was learning was simply coming from interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. You don't really realize it, but you know that sometimes you're even you're like you're in the shower and you're thinking back on the conversation you had with someone earlier and you're like oh that's so interesting that they said that and that reminds me of that thing that i read earlier etc and so in order to learn and to have good creative output you need to have quality input and without this community i think my input would have gone to almost zero because it's very hard to just motivate yourself some people have the willpower to say i'm going to read 20 pages every day i'm going to listen to one podcast every day and i'm going to do these things this and <laughs> what this podcast <laughs> this podcast like that's the one listen to this one every day yes <laughs> um uh, but i don't work like that i um i like learning in a more serendipitous manner mm. i love discovering things that i wasn't looking for and this is really something that can only happen in a community of fellow curious minds versus just you on your own trying to build your own little curriculum so that that's how it helped me love that and i know we kind of glossed over it a little bit but like you started with like i don't know a couple thousand followers on twitter couple hundred newsletter subscribers and now you know both of those numbers have like skyrocketed and stuff and it seems like Um obviously your content really resonated with people but also just the idea about learning in public and building in public and stuff like that. Um for those that aren't that familiar with it, could you share a little bit more about uh those those principles? Yes, I basically consider myself a lifelong learner, a public student basically. So <laughs> 
very often when I start writing an article, uh, if you go on my website and you see an article about a topic, in many cases, I didn't know anything about the topic before I started writing about it. So I just heard about it. I had a conversation about it with someone or I, I saw it mentioned in a chapter in a book. So and that was the extent of my knowledge. It's just, oh, wow, that's that's so interesting. I want to learn more. And then what I do is that I go and I start trying to understand everything about this topic and I do research, but I also write about it as I go. And then I publish my article and that's everything I learned. And what's really nice about it is that first people can learn with me. Mm -hmm. It's not like an expert just telling you how things are. This is more me sharing my learning journey with other people. And there's also a really nice learning feedback loop going on because sometimes I have people in my audience who actually do know about this topic and they will reply and they will say, oh, by the way, you kind of misunderstood this bit. Uh, it's th Here's a better way to think about it. Or if you're interested in this topic, here's another book that you should read that's really good on this topic. And so I can edit my articles, improve them sometimes. I revisit the same topics over several newsletters. So maybe three months later, I'll come back and I'll say, remember that article I published last time? Well, I read another book now about it. So I just updated it and it has more information now. So it's a really nice cycle, basically, mm. where I learn and I grow in public and people in my audience also learn and grow with me. And it, I don't know, it just feels much more interesting and fun to go about it this way rather than trying to get to a level of expertise where I would feel like I have the authority to tell people exactly what to do and how things work, which I would never, I would never get there in any case. Um, so yeah, so that's the, the, the nice thing too. We talked a little bit at the beginning about you know, the self-consciousness that comes with publishing your work online. For me, having this student mindset, just saying, hey, I'm still learning. So this is, I'm just publishing this thing about what I know so far is also very helpful in terms of reducing the self-consciousness because, yeah, I'm not pretending that I know everything. I'm just sharing what I know right now. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, that mindset. And then also I can imagine like the creative constraints of like that initial challenge of a hundred articles in a in hundred days. Um, I think a lot about just like, I'm just publishing an episode every week and like, that's just kind of what I do. And I know there's probably a lot of different kind of other ways to think about, like maybe do seasons or maybe try to, you know, really think what, what content is really working and then double down on that and like really try to focus on some kind of metrics. But for me, it's just like, hopefully knock on wood week after week. Um, and that's been kind of really helpful for me to like figure out my kind of like creative constraint. It's like just find a way to do a new episode every week. That's so good. That's so good. And, and honestly, if you look at the internet and who are the people who actually end up having some sort of impact, any like, an actual impact. So I'm not necessarily talking about the, the big startup founders or anything like that, but I'm talking about the podcasts that people listen to, the newsletters that people read. What a lot of them have in common is just that they kept going. Just by if you keep going and you keep on showing showing up every week, whether it's a new podcast episode in your case every week or in my case, my newsletter, <laughs> newsletter yeah. exactly. Um, there is a compounding effect that means that in any case, like you're going to end up finding your tribe and it may mm. take a few months, it may take a few years, it may take a decade. It doesn't matter. But if you keep on showing up, you will find your tribe. 
So it, it is really powerful. And in the process, you're going to grow yourself. You're going to learn yourself. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, you don't necessarily need to treat it as something that needs to be over-optimized where you need to look at all of the metrics and all of that. Some people do that, but they're not after the, the same things. They're building a business. And mm. in that case, I can understand. You're building a business. You need to look at your conversion rate because your podcast is actually a way to sell something else, etc. That's completely fine. But if the goal of your creative work, whether it's a podcast, a newsletter, or a YouTube channel, is to learn and connect with people, then th those metrics are a bit meaningless. Yeah, I love that. Um, is there anything else about kind of building an audience? Um, I know obviously you're not, you weren't like intentional about it, um, but is there anything that you would say to someone who maybe is trying to be a little bit intentional? Um, I would say that just share more than you're comfortable sharing that's the only thing and personally kind of thing or yeah. or quality uh, quantity or you mean like your human oh actually that's story. interesting i was thinking about quantity but quality too actually you're right um on the quantity side really there is something evil and magical about social media and it's the algorithm and so really all you can do is post and then just wait and see who's going to see it, basically. And you're not really responsible for what ends up in people's feeds. So just share everything. And that's the only thing I did consistently, was that every time I, I wrote a new article, I would share it on Twitter and I would share it on Hacker News. And that was the only thing I did in a very systematic manner. What's really interesting, too, is that I am absolutely terrible at knowing what is going to do well. <laughs> so, I... Uh, Sometimes I will spend days working on a piece and I will pour my heart in it and I will read all of the books and the research papers and I will publish it and I'll be, look at this, this is my best work so far. <laughs> and it's crickets, no reaction, a few people telling, oh, that's nice, whatever. And then sometimes it's Thursday morning, I'm supposed to send my newsletter every Thursday and I was very busy that week. And so I just like go in my notes and I pick a topic that I kind of, know quite a lot about already i feel very comfortable it's going to be a quick one i write it 500 words and you know i always try to send something that i think is helpful but definitely when i send it i don't think that's the article of the century and then i get so many people replying saying like that was amazing i never thought about it this way i'm definitely you know adding this to my toolbox this is great so the lesson here is not that I should work harder to try and understand what works well or what doesn't. It's that I have no idea. So I'll just share everything and I'll let people decide what's helpful to them, basically. Yeah. So quantity-wise, that's, that's my small piece of advice is just share everything. Whether you think it's good or not, you're probably the worst judge in the world in terms of how good your content is. So just share it and let people decide. And then to your point, I didn't think of that, but you're right. Um, there is something about the quality as well. The quality of being human and authentic and vulnerable. You don't necessarily have to do that because I know a lot of very successful online creators that actually don't share a lot about yeah. their personal lives and their struggles and all of the emotional work that goes into um, you know, working online, etc. 
So you don't necessarily have to do it, but in my case, it's definitely been really helpful to have that human connection with people. But it's also probably due to the fact that I write about topics that are relevant to this. I write about the struggles of creative work, about mindful productivity, mental health at work. I write about burnout. It's really hard to write about these topics without also putting a little bit of yourself in it. Yeah. So I would say that this one is optional and it's more of a question of how comfortable are you sharing more about yourself, how to be vulnerable online. The internet can be a bit brutal sometimes, so I would not blame anyone for wanting to have a little bit more of a distance in terms of who they are as a human and their work they publish online. Yeah. Um, you talked about there about this idea of like, you know, building with the community and sharing ideas and this kind of generative process. Um, and I think I've heard you talk about before about how like how you didn't really kind of want to let people down to some extent. And so that's why maybe you've kept on writing. Um, it's kind of like a weird, almost like inverse hack where like you don't want to let people down, but then it ended up leading you to success. Um, how else do you think that that kind of shows up in your world? Yeah, the the accountability piece is really powerful, I think. Um, and again, it's really about where do you apply it? So for me, not letting people down is that I had a very, very simple contract with people, which was every Thursday, you're going to receive a newsletter from me. And I didn't make any promises as to what the topic would be, how long the newsletter would be, or even how good it would be. <laughs> the only contract that I had with people is every Thursday in your inbox, there's going to be an article from me. So keeping it very simple. And that allowed me to feel like, oh, I mean, that's such a simple contract. I can't break it. I just, I have to keep on showing up. And then little by little, it just it compounds, basically. And it's the same with a lot of things that I do uh, when I started a YouTube channel. That's what I did. I decided to do it every week. And then after a while, I felt like that that wasn't for me. I was not that comfortable talking mm. to myself in front of a camera. <laughs> I'm more, more of a writer. And instead of, you know, like kind of like, publishing every three weeks or like like stopping doing it I just announced that that contract was over basically so now you know done with YouTube and this way you have a very clear relationship with people you just tell them here's what you can expect and here's what you cannot expect anymore and even with yourself is such a good way to manage your your work your productivity your time your energy also to know what are the contracts that I currently have going on mm. Are they manageable? Are they bringing me joy? Are they refiling my energy tanks or are they draining me? So to me, it's super, super helpful to think of any kind of work that I'm, I'm doing. And again, I'm talking about work, not hobbies or things like that, yeah. but for work, purely for work, to think about each of these pieces as a little contract with sometimes just one person, could be a contract with a collaborator, or it could be a contract with my audience. But what's the contract and what does it require of me to not break that contract? And is it maybe time to break that contract officially when it's not working anymore? And does that show up? And I know you, that you mentioned that as in work, but do you like, is that kind of how you kind of view things as well? Like in other areas of your life about um, yeah, not wanting to let people down. So then you, I don't know, always do X or you always do Y or you have these kind of relationship barriers or not? Is there anything else to that or there could be no? I 
so yes and no. Yes, in the sense that I do see any kind of relationship as a contract, in the sense that even if it's not spoken, we have expectations, and it could be anything. And it's the same even in romantic relationships. Like I believe that any kind of relationship can work if we're kind of clear as to what are the expectations, and if we're aligned on what the contract is. This is what you expect from me. This is what I expect from you. It could look like literally anything as long as the the two people who enter the contract are happy with what the contract looks like then it's perfectly fine right um so i think it's really helpful to remember that but then it doesn't mean that i'm going to say yes to everything or not want to disappoint people etc it just means that i'm a lot more intentional about trying to define what the contract is and also voicing it out when I feel like people may have expectations of me that I didn't really agree to mm. and just saying hey I, I feel like you're a little bit disappointed in me here uh, but I don't really remember us agreeing on me doing this thing so can we talk about it for example mm. um, and also sometimes on the other way around where I can see for example I don't know a friend not doing something that I expecting them to do and then just stopping for a second and asking myself, well, did they ever explicitly say that they were going to do this thing? Or is it just me in my own head projecting whatever I want them to do? Yeah. So it's, it's really helpful to, to think of those, all of those explicit and implicit contracts that you have with people because they exist whether you want it or not. Mm. The more explicit you make them and the more openly you talk about them with people, and making sure that you agree on what the contract is, I think the better relationships you can build. Okay. Um, I love that. And I also, I know we didn't really talk about it as much in the beginning, but I do want to provide some context for people about maybe some people that are going through, you know, a career transition, a job transition, um, you know, in the pandemic, people were thinking about transitions every single day, um, every week. What is my, you know, where, where am I going and stuff? But a little bit of context is that you were you were working at Google um, a couple of years ago, and you know, thought you know saw kind of a clearer path or you know a certain kind of ladder in front of you, and then you decided to like leave that and kind of adopt this like student mindset and learning mindset and learning in public and stuff. Um, as you kind of look back on that, is there anything else that really kind of stands out to you to to maybe share to the person that's like it's scary to make a change and leave, you know, a more traditional job to write online? <laughs> I would say that if I could go back and talk to my past self, I would tell her that you don't need to do it in such an extreme way basically decided to quit Google and two weeks after I was gone, um, which put me in a situation where it was kind of stressful. I had to figure out how to find freelancing gigs and all of these kind of things because I was like, oh, I don't have a salary anymore and I still need to pay my rent. <laughs> and, um, and so in the end, I learned a lot and it was you know, a really good experience, I think. And I maybe wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't have to go all through all of those struggles. But... I think it's very irresponsible when I hear people giving the advice of saying, like, just make the jump, like, just quit your job and go and do it and go start writing online. I think a really good way to overcome that paralysis that people may be experiencing is to start a side project. So you don't have to quit your current job. You don't have to create that artificial 
stress and anxiety of the financial pressure of not knowing how you're going to pay your rent, you can just carve out a little bit of time every week to write and first see if you actually like it or if it's just maybe a fantasy that you have because you're not quite happy with your current job. Do you actually like writing in and of itself? And then does your content resonate with people? Is there a little tribe that you can find? Mm. It doesn't have to be hundreds of thousands of people, even if there's like 10 or 20 people who really like your content. Maybe you can start a little mastermind with them and maybe you can start, like, you know, you can have little experiments and see what works, what doesn't. And very importantly, how is the experiment making you feel? Mm. Because change in progress for the sake of change in progress make no sense if you're sacrificing your mental health in the process. So I would recommend, and this is what I would tell my past self, is, you know, don't do it in an extreme way. Create lots of small experiments and then reflect on the experience and see what works for you, what doesn't. And once you get to a stage where you're like, oh, okay, this is working really well for me. I'm having lots of fun. And even better if you can see a path to financial freedom that is linked to that project of yours, then why not quit your job? But you don't have to do it straight away and you, you can give yourself the, the space and the time to see what exactly that looks like for yourself. Yeah. And I mean, like Nest Labs was a side project while you're at school. It's interesting, like oftentimes we think about side projects while working Nest Labs was a side project while you're at school and then as you know turned into what it has now. It's just yes. just amazing. Um, and so we were talking about kind of change there and transitions there. Um, I believe you're giving a talk soon about this idea around reimagining ambition and goals and in the kind of a liminal space, um, something like that. Um, is there anything you'd want to share about that? It's interesting. It's a really good segue because I do talk about what I just mentioned here in that talk that instead of seeing ambition as a ladder that you're supposed to climb, you should see it as a liminal space that you can explore. And one of the best ways to explore that liminal space is that instead of trying to rush and cross it as quickly as possible and try to get on the other side where it just feels safe and stable, taking your time and really inhabiting that playground and running lots of small experiments and again, when you run an experiment, you can do it exactly like a, a bit like a chef who tries an ingredient, tastes it, and then keeps or discards the change depending on if it works or not. Or like a scientist who has a hypothesis and then designs an experiment and then see what the results are and keeps on tweaking the experiment until they get the results that they're looking for. So in exactly the same way, you can design lots of experiments for yourself that could be trying to publish a newsletter every week for three months. So kind of like the 100 articles in a 100 days experiment <laughs> that I did for myself. It doesn't have to be as extreme. Um, it could be trying to coach 10 clients to see if that's something that you enjoy doing. It could be going for a walk every day for two weeks and snap a picture and put, put it on your Instagram, for example, and see how people react. So those are small experiments that you can run. And then, again, just like the chef who's tasting it and the, <laughs> the, the scientist who analyzes their data, reflecting on how that feels. So what are the results? Yes, sure. Is it successful? Do you get lots of engagement? Fine. Important. Sure. But also, is it bringing you joy? Are you actually enjoying the process of going through that experiment? 
So you can run a lot of these. And to me, this is one of the most powerful ways to really inhabit those liminal spaces. And instead of clinging onto a ladder, really letting your goals and your ambitions emerge through that experimental process. Is there... Um... Hmm, that's a lot more to go on. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to share? I know we could keep talking for a lot longer, <laughs> but um, is there anything else that you definitely want to uh, touch on? And if not, um, how can people keep learning from you? Yeah, no, I, we could talk for hours. So <laughs> I think, um, so if, if people want to learn more about my work or receive my newsletter, they can go on my website. It's nestlabs.com, N-E-S-S-L-A-B-S.com slash newsletter if they want the newsletter and uh, yeah this it has everything my links to my twitter and everything so it's the best way to stay in touch with me awesome thank you so much thank you hey friend thank you for tuning in to this special episode of portfolio career podcast would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed uh, you can find me on twitter LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at portfoliocareerpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 